Welcome to the Conscious Combat Club, trauma-informed martial arts by women for women. I'm your host Georgia and I cannot wait to go on this journey with you. Please note that some listeners might find this content distressing. Take care, connect with your support networks and refer to the organisations in the show notes below. In this interview, I'm joined by Jess Gordon. Jess is a school teacher, an educational researcher and BJJ practitioner who has combined all her areas of interest to create the ARISE programs, which are self-defense based programs that teach experiential, social and emotional learning. And I hope you'll enjoy learning all about what that means in this episode. All right. So- Jess, can you tell everyone a bit more about the ARISE programs? Like if I'm a kid and you're telling me what's involved in a class, what would you say? Wow. So I currently run some after-school programs, um, mostly for preteens, but mm-hmm. expanding to younger and slightly older. But my, but the approach that I have or my, my interest area is how to incorporate life skills and kind of these social emotional competencies with martial arts. So my background is in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But before that, I used to be, I had done my deg- a degree in counseling. And so I used to run a bunch of girls groups. And we used to, you know, have small talk or girl talk and, um, and talk about life and things like that. And then kind of would, and I would invite people in to come and do um, self-defense and just empowering activities as well. This was so long ago and before I even got into martial arts. But then when I got into martial arts, I was like, oh, how can I do this myself? Having had an ex- having had an empowering experience of my own. And so my programs now, they involve that girl talk and not even just girl talk. I do co-ed classes as well, but just discussions about what it's like to be, uh, to grow up, to have conflict with friends, to have healthy relationships, to, um, I don't know, just different conversations about what it means to be, to, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> to, to be in the world. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then it combine that with, with um, self-defense. And so my approach is with, um, sorry, I'm getting a little, a little rambly. <laughs> Um, That's all right. Um, in a class, so what type of things might you do as an example? Like what type of self-defense things do you teach? So my background is in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I teach, um, there's a women, there's a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu Women Empowered Program. So in my gym where I train, I'm an instructor there. Um, and so I incorporate some of the techniques that we use in Jiu-Jitsu and to bring them to my programs. <laughs> um so oh, yeah okay so for anyone who's listening who's not familiar with the um women empowered program which uh for reference if anyone wants to go back uh we'll we'll link it in the show notes but we've had on um dr jamie emmerich who is one of the authors of the book transforming trauma through jujitsu and that talks about the um women empowered program um and mm-hmm. how it could be applied as a trauma-informed program um I don't know that it has an age specification, but I suppose in that conversation, we're kind of talking more about working with adults. 
um, that you're talking about working with sort of preteens. So are there any um, differences in the way that you're teaching self-defense when you're teaching to a slightly younger audience? Yeah, so I think what the difference with my program is just making it a bit more casual. So I think a lot mm -hmm. of people think of self, uh, traditional martial arts programs is quite disciplined and routine and very a lot of the physical stuff and so i incorporate a lot of activities a lot of games a lot of movement and, so, and then as i mentioned with our discussions and some of these topics is making them more uh, relevant and age appropriate and so i do you, you can do that with adults as well and actually can make it more fun and enjoyable for adults and I do have some training with Empowerment Self-Defense, which is another organization that um, kind of utilizes these principles of, of um, uh, think, yell, run, fight, and tell. And it's all about or just recognizing that the physical is just one element of self-defense and martial arts is good in itself. I love training jujitsu for jujitsu, but the realizing that there are elements that cross over into self-defense and empowerment and that it's not just the physical, though the physical is really empowering. What kind of where I even experienced it for myself was that, you know, feeling the sense of confidence, but then learning about boundaries and awareness and emotional regulation and combining that with the practice and i think that is where um i, I feel quite passionate in in how kind of social emotional learning is a concept in schools that are dealing with how to you know set boundaries and consent and um stand up for yourself and anti-bullying approaches but they're very intellectual and so what I really love is how the martial arts and not and, and the self-defense, the, these movement practices are helping people connect with what their bodies are capable of and how they, you know, they're learning these techniques, they're having these conversations and they're putting them together and realizing, oh, I am more ca capable than I thought I was, especially when it comes to bullying approaches. Like I think a lot of people would say, that everyone knows what the right thing to do is you know don't bully or how, oh yeah i would step in and help somebody but when you're faced with the reality of your your emotions and the fear and the adrenaline the reality of doing anything like people you know it's not as easy as you think but then when you've had an opportunity to actually kind of practice in a safe environment i think it gives people this like realization that they are They've got more power and autonomy than they think they do. And I think that's what I is like the main kind of why I think this is such an important thing for all young people to have an experience of. Because, you know, we talk to them a lot about these concepts. And I think the, the SCL, the social emotional learning work being done is really good, but it's very intellectual. And so I love just the combination or the 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 bringing together of those two worlds to make it active interactive uh, connecting with each other being physical um that's yeah that's what i love about it 
Yeah, and I want to touch back on the SEL, the social emotional learning piece, because it's quite new to me and I'm excited to learn more. Um, but I want to hover around this experiential learning piece because I think it's so important. And people who listen to this podcast quite consistently are probably sick of hearing me talk about how important experiential learning is. But I think this is another really beautiful example of that. And like the classic one that I give is confidence and that we tell people like, do affirmations, look in the mirror and be like, I'm confident and be confident. And if you think confident, then you'll be confident. Um, but we forget that there's other voices in our heads that are often looking for evidence to point to the contrary. And we'll say, well, obviously you're not confident. You've never done da da da, or I have all of this evidence for why you're not. And that's why I think experiential learning is so important because it becomes harder for that voice in your head to shoot you down when you have hard evidence and embodied evidence that something different is possible. So I love this example of being like, okay, we tell people intervene if, you know, there's a bully or, you know, something's going on where you need to look after somebody, look after a friend or don't do these things. Um, but if you haven't had that experience where you've actually been able to see yourself in that scenario because you've played it out or you've been able to feel in your body what it's like to go through those movements it's a very different um type of situation than it is if you've just thought about it or been like yeah hypothetically i would blah 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 is that mm -hmm. kind of what you're saying yeah and even kind of i feel it myself like i remember when i first started jujitsu and you know, I knew I didn't know anything. <laughs> and yeah, and I would go to class with this fear in my mouth. My, you know, my mouth would be dry, my heart would be racing. And yet I'd force myself to go. And it would be the hardest thing I ever did. But the fact that then that I got through it, and then, and this is just in the, you know, personal jujitsu kind of scenario, but every time I'd push myself, through something that my body was scared about. Like, I know I didn't have reason to be scared. It's a very safe environment, but there was still this fear of even the ego of like, oh, I'm going to lose. And, you know, what are people going to think about me? What, you know, and I'm, I'll be honest, like growing up, I was never athletic at all. So even the fact that I still, that I'm, you know, into jujitsu after so long, <laughs> you know, it still surprises me. But I think, that's where I see it, like having known myself, like having having, sorry, having not grown up athletic, always having struggled with my own confidence as, as a child and even into my adulthood, and then having this empowering experience where then, you know, after week after week, I'd see, oh, now I'm not as nervous, now I'm more confident, oh, now I'm not getting you know, submitted as much and, oh, I'm like not getting as injured as much. And, you, you know, you kind of see that step by step and you're like, oh, like, actually, like I'm more capable and I don't need to be scared anymore. And you just kind of, you see the progression and that is what gives you the confidence is you start to realize like, oh, I'm capable of this. And I never thought I was, but now I am. And then, and especially with the, you know, with now working with younger people who too are very, you know, struggle with their confidence it's like sometimes I think, oh, who am I to do this? Because I'm not the most confident person. I'm afraid all the time. And yet it's because of that. I think that that is why it is me to do this because 
you know, the, the people that always just seem to ooze confidence and they're loud all the time. And you think, oh, what do they know about confidence? But who are they to talk to me about the struggle? Because they obviously don't know it. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, I think, yeah, there's, there's confidence isn't always loudness and, you know, having not having the fear. In fact, I often tell myself my little mantra is feel the fear and do it anyways, because, it, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I have that one too. And also, like, try and do something that makes you really scared at least once a month, I think has yeah. been really healthy for me and certainly has been helpful in my um, personal growth. And I think it's so important that there is a spectrum of different people involved in facilitating the martial arts, that it's not only people who have been training for 30 years and picked it up naturally um and you know we're like gifted straight away and you know have gone on to be like world champions i think there's so much need for people who are more relatable within the martial arts to be able to almost operate as a peer um even though it might be like an adult working with kids as a lot of those barriers uh broken down by being able to relate to each other by saying you know i can see myself in you and i can see that it's possible for me to be able to do these things as well too. Like the experience is important and so is representation, right? And being like, ah, I can see myself in you. Whereas there's like other belief systems which are like, oh, yeah, I can see that these techniques might work for some people, but they're not going to work for me because I'm da-da-da-da-da. Whereas if you can... Um, almost persuade your students like in a lot of ways I am just like you or I was just like you and if I can do it then you can do it I think that that's such a powerful thing exactly and even when I first started getting into the idea of teaching self-defense I went and looked you know it went and checked out other self-defense programs how do they do it and one of the things and I've heard this complaint or critique many times is and it's that it's all big macho men and well-meaning I don't I mean to mm. disregard their intentions but sometimes you think that's just not realistic I'm not like of course you're just gonna punch someone or whatever you know make it seem so easy um, but it's also you know these approaches are often geared to maybe more male-oriented violence and you know street fights and things like that which you know realistically are not things that either women will always experience and even definitely children like there might be some physical altercations in the um in the school yeah you know in the playground but um even for women a lot of the technique or the situations that we might need self-defense for a lot more nuanced and not just about you know just like hit them or gouge their eyes out you know there's a lot more to it and that's what i really like about kind of the, the approach that I'm developing um, is it just it's, it's less of the physical though that is still very important but how do how do we conduct ourselves have the awareness have our own inner belief that we are worthy of being safe and respected and that we can have these kind of discussions within a class with people who are who are like us who are not just super sporty and well obviously you're gonna you know it's gonna work for you because you're strong but you know, especially like for children, a lot of people ask me or might have the, the critique that um, 
like with little kids saying, is it realistic that they could defend themselves against an adult attacker? And like, you, you know, you could argue maybe not, like if, you know, with big size discrepancies, but the, I think the reality is that in having these discussions, obviously in age appropriate ways, and having them practice these things gives them a sense of bodily autonomy and that they know what is right and wrong and what feels good and what doesn't feel good, what is comfortable, what is uncomfortable, and that they know this within themselves. And even just having these discussions at all helps them to know who are safe adults that they can talk to, even have the confidence to know that I can get help if I need to, instead of just suffering in silence or thinking there's something wrong with them. And so that's what I love about the physical, combining these two areas as well, is that they're, we're having these discussions, which you know, traditionally have not been openly talked about in schools or maybe even at home. And then now we're practicing it and they're like, oh, wow, my body is capable. Especially those who haven't had, maybe not have a sporty athletic upbringing. Like I've worked with some kids who, you know, they're like little wet noodles. Like they're just like, their <laughs> bodies are all over the place. And, you know, and after so long of working with them, you can see that they're actually like just physically able to stand up for themselves. And you just, you, you just know that that's translating into their kind of emotional psychological uh, belief about themselves as well yeah absolutely um let's talk more about the social emotional learning what does that mean so it's a, a field within education that's looking or it's all about the skills mindsets dispositions that basically are required to, to navigate life so it's this kind of the soft skills you might say um there's one kind of um uh, entity out there that's quite popular called Castle, and they define that there's five core competencies that they they um, that are quite widely um, recognized, and that's self awareness, self management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision making. And so the i the idea or the approach is that there's you know we're going to have these lessons that touch on these things the self-awareness you know is like our you know understanding what's going on inside our bodies our emotions and which to me all of these things are very connected to self-defense like when i know that you know that feeling of intuition or that discomfort and my body's giving me warning signs you know that maybe i'm shivering or my stomach's feeling anxious you know these are, are things that we can take note of and and tell us oh so maybe something's wrong and so these are the lessons that we can start to implement. And these are not physical techniques, but they're very valuable and very easily um, could, can be incorporated into school curriculum in a very non-threatening way. And so it's just the idea that your social emotional competencies is like learning about yourself and your awareness and but that in other people to recognize, oh, your body language is a bit off. Maybe I need to stay away and things like that. And how to have healthy friendships and deal with conflict because we all have conflict. It's inevitable. And yet how often I feel in my life, you know, even as adults, we still struggle with these things and how to set boundaries and consent. And these are really important things that are becoming more popular to talk about. Um, and so, 
yeah, how do we just do it in a fun way that's not, it is educational and age appropriate and not scary and uh, but is actually really useful and can serve young people into their adulthood. So the first one was self-awareness. What was the second one? Self-management. So that's kind of yeah. your self-regulation and being able to control your emotions and your behaviors. Um, being able to re react or respond more than react to situations. And, and like this is not just in self-defense situations. This is like, mm -hmm. all, just in life, having a job, being able to work with um, your, you know, group project at school, you know, mm -hmm. no one likes those, but, <laughs> you know, need some skills there to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. It's so interesting, so, um, they call them self-awareness and self-management. Uh, so when I talk about like trauma-informed kickboxing, for example, the three things that we're building upon on top of a foundation of learning kickboxing are body connection, so you might say self-awareness, grounding skills, you could say self-management, really, that's emotion regulation. Um, and then our third one is um setting boundaries and making choices, which I feel like was one of the other five that you mentioned as well, right? What are the other three? Let's go through them one at a time. Social awareness then is being aware of other people's behavior and emotions mm. and, and compassion. Um, yeah, I think that kind of summarizes that. Relationships, yeah. very similar, but be more the communication, like how to mm. resolve conflict, um, maybe some problem solving skills, how to apologize, how to set a boundary, those kind of things. And then responsible decision-making is, um, would be, you know, putting some of those things in action, how to make safe choices. You know, when my peers are telling me to like go out at night, you know, is, and I know that maybe that's not safe, you know, maybe I, I make the right decisions and kind of more like ethical, might be your ethical dilemmas and, um, yeah. Yeah. Which is quite similar to um, one thing that I talk a lot about is how difficult it is to have those boundary setting conversations with the people that are closest to us. So mm -hmm. like our friends and family. And that's the thing that I notice is quite often spouted on social media is that like, oh, if you like have trouble with your family at Christmas time, just like set this boundary or, you know, like if the, <laughs> if you have difficulties around whatever, just, you know, set a boundary around that. And if people don't respect it, then they never respected you. But there's not really a conversation about how difficult that that is, um, that the people that are closest to us are often the hardest people for us to set boundaries to um, because we've, gotten used to going along with what they say we um as a like a need not just like a, a superficial need but as a, a deep based survival need we also need to fit in with collective groups and that definitely includes our friends and family so it's such a skill to be able to say no I don't want to do that or no I'm not going to do that or just no as a complete sentence um so what are some of the games that you might play in a class that help with um, practicing those skills? Um, yeah, so there's some, yeah, like getting into the nuance of it is obviously a bit challenging. And like I said, with, especially with family, there's a lot of power dynamics at play and also societal 
expectations. And so some of it, and depending on the age, obviously, is just having these kind of discussions at all and recognizing that you're not alone in some of these challenges. Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe, but um, for some games, there's some that are just about practicing using your voice, you know, saying no, and kind of, you know, we can line each, you know, your with partners line up and kind of pick a spot where you feel comfortable. And, you know, as they come closer, closer, you, you know, you're able to say no and just assert your voice. And, and actually sometimes that's probably, you know, it's not very um, descriptive, but no, they say is a, is a full sentence. And sometimes it's the hardest thing to say. And, um, you know, you're not always going to yell no in someone's face. <laughs> but just, I've seen it many, many times. And even in our Women Empowered program, we have, there's a lesson where we, you know, we talk about the voice. And often it's, it's one of the most challenging ones just to raise your voice. Because, you know, we're always just, I feel like as women, we're always taught to be nice and to be quiet and not make a, met, a scene. And, you know, and I think, you know, how hard it is to be able to say, hey, I'm like, I'm feeling uncomfortable now is, again, like I said earlier, you know, it's so much easier said than done. And so just having practice around that is can be really good. And so there's some breathing um, uh, exercises you can do with the voice as well that helps, especially with the, in the collective group to make it a bit easier. And just where you're helping like, bring out the voice, not from here, but from the, you know, from within, just helps, I think people feel more comfortable, com com confident as well. Uh, but yeah, then, I, yeah, sorry, continue. Oh, I was just gonna say, and then there's some other um, activities where you just, um, a popular one is the kind of using um, sentence stems, the like I statements and, you know, I feel when, you know, I need, you know, these kind of things, so. There's a range of things you can do. Yeah, I like that. I like the stems and I also like the idea of using like breathing exercises to slowly work people up to, to mm -hmm. using the voice. I think one of the criticisms I would have of a lot of self-defense programs is um, that facilitators can sometimes be so focused on getting people to raise their voice that they are not noticing how uncomfortable some people might be in that setting and not just in a they're feeling discomfort kind of way in uh, a lot of people move through the world with hypervigilance and so when there's yelling of other people um, yeah. that can be incredibly triggering and how we look to slowly incorporate that in a class I think is really really important in ensuring that people have positive experiences particularly if they're new um, to a martial arts space where everything is already foreign and therefore can be seen as a threat. Um, so how do you slowly incorporate these elements of, of using the voice in a way that doesn't overwhelm people? Yeah, I think, well, one, actually, that's just thinking another thing I do is there's a game I like to play. It's not kind of an icebreaker game where I have like Z on a piece of paper and I time everyone, give them like two minutes to come up with as many boundary setting words according to the alphabet. Like it's just a silly game and to be, be as creative as they can. Cause it just gets people talking about different ways to set a boundary because 
um, I know there was some research somewhere that said, you know, when it comes to communication, you know, it's words are only, I can't remember the percentages, but like a little bit and then tone of voice is a bit more and then our body language is really the most important thing. And, um, but it's just, you know, so then build it up in that way too. It's like, okay, well, first off, what could you say? And just like start thinking, oh, what are some times where I've had to set a boundary and, you know, it's not just saying no. And it doesn't always have to be rude. You can just, you know, we're often like, get back, you know, which mm -hmm. again, that is legit. But, you know, it could be just like, hey, please, do you mind? You know, and there's nothing wrong with being polite. Being polite is a de-escalating tactic. And if that works, then great. You know, but we're not going to just jump in with like, you know, yelling at someone in, you know, loudly in their face, which I mean, you can do if you want in the, if the scenario. Uh, warrants it but I think yeah kind of just building up and then like I said with the breathing things I find really helpful because you know no one wants to do it by themselves and so you know with, as a group you can have you know doing it together you know just you know and then you get to vibe off everyone else's energy and as it does get louder you do get more like oh yeah like you know you can feel the energy rising and then um and then it, you you know you can do it with partners and as they become more more um comfortable with each other as well yeah yeah those are really good pieces of advice um i'm wondering as well too within the self-defense space um how you manage and this is probably more relevant to working with adults than it is with working with kids but i think self-defense always kind of toes that line at being victim blaming um it's always the elephant in the room so mm -hmm. i wonder like how do you work around that is that a like prompt that you have conversations around um or is it something that you know is embedded throughout the whole way that you facilitate the program or both what does that look like for you um, I think like in practice, it doesn't really come up a lot because I think the people that are coming, you know, want to be there. And <laughs> I mean, I've have worked with people who as well have been our survivors of, of assaults or something. And, and I think, and I see them and I'm like, you're the strongest one here. You know, how can you say that, you know, they shouldn't be here. And, you know, I've read, um, you know, about you know how putting yourself through self-defense and kind of reclaiming those experiences is very empowering and then you know and for the, so the, for those who are like are on the outside looking in saying you know these how it's you know these perspectives i think they don't I'm, i don't know i mean i don't know where they're coming from but i don't think they really have had an experience of it themselves and I mean, I understand maybe a little bit, but um, I mean, I obviously want team self-defense. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what, I don't know. That's something I, yeah, we need to think more about. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I mean, my, mm -hmm. my two cents on it at, and where I stand at the moment is that if we were ever to run self-defense classes that i think it's something that i would want to touch on at the start of the class is to say that i want to recognize that um 
not everybody's experiences will be represented in what we're talking about today. And there are many factors that influence what we do in response to dangerous situations. And some of those are influenced by the perpetrator and our relationship to them. So if it's a partner or a family member, some of this stuff is going to be different. And so I want to distinguish between when we're talking about responding to a stranger and when we're talking about responding to somebody who is a known person. Um, and I think it's it's really valuable as well just to remind people that this is in no way saying that you did something wrong or that it was your fault if you didn't do these things in the past these are other options that you can add into your toolkit potentially going forward and also if you have an experience after this class and you're not able to use what you've learned because you freeze still know that a lot of people freeze and it's very very common protective survival response that often happens or pretty much always happens um in a way where your nervous system's overriding your actions. Um, and the evidence is kind of mixed in saying that learning self-defense overrides that. Um, so don't feel like you've not been good enough or you haven't studied enough or you haven't practiced enough or there's something wrong with you if you can't use some of this, um, some of these ideas in practice. Um, I think that that is part of where I think a lot of people could improve in the self-defense space, to be mm -hmm. honest, is thinking about um, the reasons why people might be in there. Um, and as much as we want to help people be able to have defensive skills, we also want to make sure people don't internalize further any negative beliefs that they might have about mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah, we try to do that a lot in, in my jujitsu, the Women in Power program because we often want to show you know the in a certain technique like why you would do it this like why some other ways might be less efficient a little less reliable and using relying on strength mm. and because the idea a lot with the techniques is how to kind of re preserve your energy um in a situation and exhaust the you know the perpetrators and and so, but there is the reality is that there are people who have experienced these situations. And so it's to say, you know, but if, but there's nothing wrong, like there's no real wrong way to defend yourself. Because if you got out of there alive, like that was perfect. And the reality mm -hmm. too with all these self-defense techniques is if you're, you can learn them, like you need to be constantly learning them and putting yourself in these situations for your body to develop that kind of muscle memory. Because if you do one self-defense class and never again, like you're just never, you're not going to remember anything. And so, you know, there's that issue too around self-defense programs, you know, like unless you're doing it on a regular basis. And then even with jujitsu, you know, I could be training jujitsu, but I'm also trained to tap or, you know, to not actually hurt someone. So the reality, you know, even for myself, like I don't know, like people ask me all the time, will this really work in a real situation when your adrenaline is going? And I'm like, I like, to be honest, I've never been in that situation. And so I don't know, but I, I think I would. And so, um, Actually, recently, um, just in the summer, there's an organization called Impact Global, and they do an adrenaline-based self-defense program. And 
and it's a little scary to be honest when i you know even with my own martial arts background i was like i don't know how i'm gonna react what if i just freeze but going through that experience um they're very very highly trained to make it like trauma informed you know like you're never made to do anything you want and they're obviously they're not going to hurt you but to be put in a place where your adrenaline is going and seeing what happens very good experience and gave me a lot of confidence to know that I could react but I don't know like I still wonder you know like I don't know I hope I never will be in in a situation where I'll need it for in for real life but having that uh, yeah that impact global because they have the big like padded um perpetrators it's a, it's a unique experience for sure <laughs> Yeah, I um, I know Meg from Impact Boston, who's one of the original founders from the the program. She's such a beautiful, awesome person. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of the work that that they do, and also how thoughtful they are in in teaching self defense. Because I think yeah. it's again, there's no good and bad martial arts, and I would consider self defense maybe a martial art. Um, you know, it's not saying that like. Jiu-Jitsu is the best martial art you should learn or kickboxing is the best martial art that you should learn. I think it's so much more important who is teaching the program and how are they teaching the program than it is the specific um, content that you're you're learning within the classes. Um, and, and I think that that really speaks to that, you know, yeah. that you can have two very different self-defense classes that have people come away with very different things. And it probably all sits on a spectrum. You know, it's not like a just black and white, good and bad self-defense programs. But there are a lot of considerations that we have when we step into these spaces. Mm -hmm. And I think that that really increases the potential for people to have positive experiences, as in transformational experiences, because the stakes feel very high with martial arts, right? You said before about how when you were first going to jiu-jitsu, your throat was dry, you know, you were feeling all of these stress yeah. and you're, you're feeling in your rational mind like you know that you, quote, unquote, shouldn't be feeling these things because it's not real. The body and the nervous system doesn't know that, right? Combat feels like combat. Um, and so while it's a lot for us to overcome those feelings, which are so valid and so scary, despite whether or not the situation is a real situation. Um, but the flip side of that is that the adrenaline that you get, the amount of empowerment that you get when you realize that you are capable is significant. Um, and I guess where where I sit in the world is trying to make sure that no one's in a hurry to, to as a facilitator help their students have that feeling i think sometimes we feel like you need in lesson one to help people realize that they're like super empowered and they can overcome anything and that like we take them from zero to hero um so that they get on side with us and they know what we've already experienced but it can be a slow process and it probably should be a slow process so that it's not overwhelming because even if it's overwhelming for one person it breaks my heart when people tell me you know i tried karate or jiu-jitsu or kickboxing or whatever it is i tried a self-defense class 10 years ago and it was terrible and i was so overwhelmed and i never went back and then that becomes the story that they tell themselves about combat i think that is such such a loss to society and for that person i know i agree and i think what what i like about 
Well, when you think about empowerment too, I think a lot of it is just having options. It's just having tools mm. in your belt that, you know, whether it, cause you just don't know what the situation requires. And, you know, we, a lot of, you know, traditional or even work, you know, educational stuff for children is about stranger danger. But when statistics say that it's, you know, mostly people that you know, and the same with, I think other self-defense classes, you know, it's all about all oh, being attacked in the alleyway. But like reality mm -hmm. is again, that most assaults are by people that they know. And so your tools that you need for, for each and every situation is so different. And so how can you, you know, and it, it doesn't have, have to be scary and it doesn't have to be physical. Like, and it really can just be that you're just more aware of your surroundings or even just that you believe in yourself, that you're worthy of being safe and respected. Like that is probably like the biggest thing at all. You know, like if you truly believe that you're worthy and have that love and belief in yourself, then you're not going to take it from other people when they disrespect you. And it doesn't need to be aggressive <laughs> to stand up for yourself. It can just be like, no, I'm going to remove myself or, you know, just say no or I don't know. Exactly. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I cannot tell you how many women have come on this podcast and said that learning kickboxing, jujitsu, going and learning a martial art, not explicitly self-defense, just going and learning a martial art changed their worldview such mm -hmm. that they could no longer tolerate the abuse that they were suffering at home and they were then able to leave abusive relationships. Um, and that's not going to be the case for everybody. And the reasons why people stay in abusive relationships are so incredibly complex. Um, but I think even if a small percentage of people are then, you know, able to shift their view of themselves enough to be able to reach out to the supports that are there and available. For example, in <laughs> Australia, we have 1-800-RESPECT, that they're able to call 1-800-RESPECT um, is huge. Also, if they can, um, you know, connect with other humans, you know, connect with a community of other people who they can now say, oh, maybe I feel like I can tell Jess that this is happening to me and she can help me get support. Or, you know, now that I have all these other people around me, um, maybe I'm starting to have friends, you know, that I, I feel like I can lean upon or at least I can tell or will notice if something goes on with me. You know, I think there's so much invisible protection, so much invisible self-defense that goes on um that's more than you know if, if if this then this you know if this situation then respond in this way i think it's so multifaceted and that's great because life's multifaceted and complicated we need multifaceted and complicated solutions most likely i know i think too i get that comment a lot with our again with our women in power program is a lot of them keep coming back because of the community and it's you know yes it's fun we get to you know do some moves and but you know afterwards we go for coffee and you know we connect and we have do life together and that was a big component of the empowerment self-defense training that i did recently as well you know is at the end of it all is who do you have in your corner where do you go to for support if something does happen um and even yeah like it, like we need each other it's like our sisterhood <laughs> and not just for you know like men is included in that but i think it's definitely important in life to have those people yeah i agree wholeheartedly mm -hmm. um 
I wanted to touch very briefly on quite a niche question. Um, I noticed on Instagram that you did run a special session for neurodivergent kids. Um, and I was wondering how you work with, for example, the voice, um, which could be like quite loud and maybe overwhelming for someone who has sensory overload. So I was wondering what some of the more specific um, ways that you had adjusted the program or changed the program when working with neurodiverse individuals. Yeah. Um, so most of my experience working with that um, demographic has been in schools and not in the software mm. field. Um, but wanted because I have worked in special ed for like ten year over ten years. You know, kind of wanting to bring the that area and like combine these two areas of my my profession. Um, mm -hmm. And so let me just think for a sec. Um, I think, I mean, you know, when I, it's just, um, let me think, when I did the um, working with the special ed kind of, because I've done some programs in schools with life cycle and life skills classes here, um, mm -hmm. it's just, it's all on a smaller scale, you know, like not as many um, students. It's also just getting to know them and doing a bit more of the um i mean it just kind of varies on the group itself it's like getting to know them and their comfort levels because i feel like i've done the you know the nose but it's just it's making it fun and it's you know then maybe there are some kids that you know can't handle it or need to take a break or sit out for some of it mm -hmm. and there's support there for them it's just being flexible and not forcing anything on them i think and having a lot of visuals, having a lot of um, breaks, these kind of things, and you know, it kind of very, yeah. It's hard to, exp I don't know, if I'm explaining this <laughs> clearly, but you really, it's all being, it's differentiating, getting to know the group itself, and just being uh -huh. a warm person. Um, like I, I don't know, because I've had some. This is one of my in, one of the areas of interest now that i do a lot of this with work with with this demographic is not my focus but it does interest me because when i've done i when i've worked in schools and i've had teachers say oh just like don't worry about so and so you know he's on the spectrum he won't join in just let him sit on the side and this for real happened to me in one school is like a grade four class and I was like, oh, okay, well, whatever, you know, it took the kids, um, you know, we did this very simple, um, well, I mean, I think simple, but it was just very, it was like how to stand up in base and if someone tries to push you and someone grabs your wrist. And honestly, he did everything amazingly. And I think what it was that was so beneficial was that it everything is just step by step. It's very slow and coordinated and clear and this is what i think is really one of the beneficial things of martial arts is that you know when you uh, maybe other pe games are very chaotic and all these abstract rules very very confusing for people who struggle with learning disabilities or intellectual disabilities and so they get overwhelmed and they sit mm -hmm. out and we're just told, okay, well, just let him do that because you know we've got 30 other kids to deal with. But 
that's why I really like the approach because, and you know, it, it helps kids to be self-regulated when you break it down step by step. It's like so easy for them to follow. And so maybe not directly to your question about the voice, but just even in just engaging in martial arts at all, why it's so beneficial for, you know, for everyone. And even like when you break it down, even for the lowest common denominator, it helps everybody. Like even the, you know, the neurotypical, you know, everyone can benefit from having structure and patience and differentiation. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had um, Dr. Janice Fung on the podcast recently um, talking about one of her papers, which used a mixed martial arts program to help um, kids on the spectrum in a various <laughs> different ways in terms of like self regulation um, and behavior regulation as well. Um, and I just think there's so much there's so much potential there because it is it's a very structured system in a lot of ways is the martial arts um and i think that's helpful for for kids for adults for neurodiverse neurotypical people both having structure within the class structure in how you teach you know knowing that every wednesday at 5 p.m i do you know this thing as well too like there's this enormous um, benefit to having consistency and being able to say, you know, when everything else is falling apart, I know that that, that thing will hold fairly true, I think mm -hmm. is is so valuable as well too. I was just curious about how you might um, work differently with the, the noise, whether you encourage kids to bring, you know, earplugs if they need them or anything like that. Yeah, usually with those, when I've done those classes, they have, they bring their own things or they, the yeah. class might have that kind of stuff and and sometimes there's been some students who are, are unable to participate and if that's their choice then we're not going to force them to do it so. yeah of <laughs> yeah. course um i want to wrap by asking you uh about this huge transformative power of martial arts so a question that i often ask is related to why we do hear people say statements so strong um, as you know, learning martial arts saved my life, jujitsu saved my life. And I think oftentimes what they really mean by that is that it changed my life, although sometimes quite literally saved. Um, so in any interpretation of that statement, why do you think that that might be? I think for me, it's, it's that mind-body connection. And just like I've mentioned, you know, talked earlier about just this belief, this you know, sense of competence that grows when you realize that you're so you're more than capable of things mm. than you thought you were and when you start to realize that in yourself and even you start meeting the goals like you know in martial arts you get you know the promotions and though they may be somewhat arbitrary you know it is motivational and you're like oh like i am improving and that i think it gives you a goal it gives you something to work for that's and a sense of purpose i think and I think you know that's something important in life is to have something meaningful like goals you know and whether martial arts and maybe for some people that is enough I know for me it kind of I took it one step further in creating a business and <laughs> every a lot of what I'm doing is quite interconnected um but I think yeah I think that mind-body connection experiencing it for yourself but also the community that comes with it you know, I've made lifelong friends, you know, I get physical touch, 
I get to have fun and play and move around on the floor. Like I'd seen all these things I would never do. And I think will really benefit me and my life and my body for the long run. Like I've never been gotten into a sport or activity quite like I have with jujitsu. <laughs> it does tend to be like that. <laughs> yeah. um, I was never growing up. <laughs> Surprise. Neither was I. Neither was I. I'm terrible at ball sports. Like I can't and my eye just just like doesn't track how far away a person is to be able to throw it. And I get really disoriented with objects like whizzing towards me, like to catch a ball. I always joked that that was why I got so into karate because it was like, oh, you're aiming for the stomach, but you miss and you hit the shoulder. Oh well, like doesn't matter. <laughs> um, Jess, how can people find you online? Um, my website is ariseprograms.com and that's basically what my, all my social media is Arise Programs. Um, that's, yeah, find me that way. Amazing. We'll pop the details for those in the show notes. And is there anything else you'd like to share with folks who are listening to this podcast before we sign off? Yeah, I think like my passion really is, is how to get this into schools and why it's so important because like we mentioned all of these social emotional competencies are what bring well-being and wellness to our young people and when you I, I just feel like when we look around especially since covid at the you know the, the struggles of our youth today and the mental health problems and learning how to cope is it's a struggle and i think martial arts helps people to um find that power from within and from without like with you know connecting with other people in pro-social ways recognizing what they're capable of they're getting exercise all of the happy hormones are being released and like this trans really does transfer into other areas of your life you know if you build if you can recognize that you can um community like communicating with your partner just in jujitsu or self-defense and how to navigate a wrist release well now you're learning these you know how to communicate and so just going back quickly to the you know this concepts of the social emotional learning is that it's it's in action like you're learning how to communicate with your partner recognizing their body cues recognizing your own body cues and then and doing something with it and then that does go into other areas of your life. You know, now you're in math class and you're feeling frustrated because you, math, you hate math. And have, I don't know, your partner is annoying. And so now you know how to communicate your frustrations and work with people. And I think this is something that schools, um, I don't know, they should, I really believe that, <laughs> Uh, you know, this is something worth looking into to help build their school sense of safety, sense of belonging, sense of empowerment, you know, helps with their well-being, helps with their academics. And if schools are looking for anything, you know, they, they want to build their academics. And I think this is a unique way to do that. And so that's, I'm on, that's my train, my passion to spread the news, <laughs> get into school. Absolutely. School. 
Well, if there are any Canadian martial artists that work in schools listening to this, I know of a couple, so we can have a chat offline um, yeah. that might want to team up or help or people um, associated with school programs, like shed the, spread the word, let's get this thing done. Yeah, well, like I said, I'm, well, we said before we got going, I work in schools, I'm a teacher by day, and so I'm like, you know, make it curriculum based, you know, make those connections, you know, I really, really believe this is something that could be transformative for schools and for our communities and not just in Canada, for everywhere. And I know that people are doing great stuff like this out there already. In fact, I know there's a lot of the research articles that I've been reading through from my masters. There's some people in Australia who are doing some cool work. I wish I knew them personally. I don't, but <laughs> I'm like every time they they really they write something. I'm like, hmm, how can I take some of what they're learning and incorporate into what I'm doing? <laughs> Most definitely. Um, yeah. We can have a chat more about that offline. Um, I do know them as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, thank you so much for coming on, Jess. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being part of the club. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to get in touch, please refer to the information in the show notes. If you'd like to support this podcast, please consider leaving us a review or subscribing on whichever platforms you use to listen or watch the podcast. The Conscious Combat Club acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands in which we work, live and play. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. We'd like to say thank you to Nari for the beautiful song Shape Me, heard at the beginning and end of every episode. Nobody shapes me. If you'd like to connect with Nari, you can find her on Instagram at Nari the Saga. Don't gotta tell you what my name is, I don't gotta explain it. Walk in the room, hear a boom erupting like I'm famous. I'm here shedding shells, I'm shameless. I fear nothing, no complacence. Walk to many tight ropes with no hope, so I became this poster they hold over all the heads of trauma holders. You don't need to know my history, I move boulders. Atlas shrug, cause I lifted the weight above his shoulders. No pretense of defense, move first like chess soldiers. This goes deeper than empowerment, cause huh, I'm the one that power it. Physical meets mental challenge me to keep devouring. If I can't change the scenery, at least I change perspectives. No longer isolated, but elevated and selective. Darkest places become beautiful spaces. This is where rage meets patience. Meets power meets gracious. Meets, we're so glad you came in. The feeling is contagious. When you the walking impact of intended bad intentions. When you the manifesting of collecting all they tensions. You the soul and body hold it all and still remember. But I'm a work in progress, testament to all contenders. Forgot what it was like to have control over self. Forgot what it was like to be the one in charge. Forgot in my reflection, I could see all my wealth. Forgot that with my bare hands, I break all these bars, barriers, and obstacles. They can't cage me, they can't chronicle all my experiences and reduce them to appearances. When I was truly beaten, gave myself clearances to fall down, mess up, and get myself back up. I'm not looking for clovers, cause I don't believe in luck. Damn, you were badass, I heard them say it clearly. Why, thank you very much, I know now I'm not weary of what's next for me. Cause I expect to see growth like I was planted, watered, fed, and bloomed to be. The positivity and accountability, knowing they won't step if I'm the agent of my agency. I think I found my voice again, huh? 
think I found my voice again, huh? I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, you're the end where I begin Boundaries, I know them well, take a breath and meditate Who is she? I know her well, now I get to open gates One, two, one, two, I don't need your permission And if you get uncomfortable, then use your intuition To know that I won't stay where respect is ever missing And everything I do, that's me making decisions It's truly underrated, the value of self-worth Forgot that I was rich from the moment of my birth A penny for my thoughts, no really, you can't afford it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it You cannot buy my story, rewrite it, or record it, huh?